Today on Leftovers, we are talking about the horror from the year 2014. Welcome to Horror Derbs, the podcast where we serve up terror in bite-sized portions. My name is Cal, and today we will be doing a mini-episode on one of my favorite years of horror, 2014. Now, I chose this topic because I think that in 2014 we saw a shift in horror movies, and I'm going to try and explain at least my perception of that uh, throughout this episode. Now, when I talk about a shift in horror, what I mean is that horror kind of was going one way. A lot of movies maybe were following the same kind of path. And then one or two movies come out and all of a sudden you get a lot of that new style or new subject matter uh, coming into the zeitgeist and becoming the standards for a certain type of horror movie. Uh, Certain famous examples of shifts in horror would be 1960 with the release of psycho and the psychological murder and getting rid of your lead actress halfway through a movie uh 1968 the release of night of the living dead um adding some social commentary and having a black lead in a horror uh 1978 the release of halloween and the dawn of the slasher 1996 the release of scream and the self-referential self-aware horror movie slash comedy uh 1999 the blair witch project and the found footage phenomenon and then 2002 with the release of the ring bringing in not only a lot of asian remakes or american remakes of asian horror movies but then a whole bunch of remakes of classic horror movies that really Tipped off with like the Texas Chainsaw Massacre in 2003, followed by Dawn of the Dead, Evil Dead, Friday the 13th, Amityville, Poltergeist, 13 Ghosts, all of these remakes. So the shift doesn't have to be now this is the only kind of horror movie that we make. And we see that like, you know, some of these uh, examples that I've given are fairly close together. However, once these movies reach the general public, you're going to see a lot more of them start to appear. And it just becomes another tool book in writer and director's arsenals um says this is the kind of movie that will sell this is what we're gonna go with and i think there was a few different uh avenues that happened in 2014 that i think are fairly crucial to uh lead to the kind of movies that we have today so first of all just very briefly let's talk about what was happening in 2014 let's get it in that headspace to see you know what might have been creating these kinds of movies coming out um So, first of all, there was the Ebola outbreak. So, this scary new disease that was causing people to have lockdowns and closed borders. Um, There was the rise of ISIS, the conflict in Ukraine and mounting tensions between Russia. Uh, There was the Olympics in Russia, which weren't run very well and had a lot of corruption. Um, There was the deaths of Michael Brown and Eric Garner causing a lot of discourse between citizens and how policing should happen so you know um nothing that we could really relate to today in 2022 he says sarcastically 
So the world was kind of an angry place and we needed to vent some frustrations, get some art out into the world, at least I think. Um, And right at the beginning of the year, January 19th, 2014, uh, the first movie that I want to talk to is A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night. This was directed by Anna Lily Amirpour. And I think this ushered in, you know, there was a lot of films like it before and there's a lot of films like it after. But I think this was a really big one for art house films from young writers and directors and actors, but also people that come from different walks of life. So this one is a vampire movie that really focuses on young women and skate culture. Um, It's a Persian language film. It's set in an Iranian city and not in the States. And uh, I think this, you know, along with a lot of other factors, really helped bring in um, a new generation of younger foreign filmmakers who really wanted to dip their toe into genre films. And I like to think that a lot of the critical acclaim that this movie garnered might have helped push to, you know, have people take more of a chance on other language films. Um, I could be wrong about that, but, you know, this was a, a big intro for me into foreign films that weren't just French or German or Korean um, and really just pushing the boundaries of trying to get movies from all over the world and legitimizing these horror movies so that, you know, if they're popping up on streaming services like Netflix and Amazon Prime, uh, people are willing, more willing to take a chance on them because they know that there's some quality, um, interesting things coming out of these other countries. Uh, and so I think this movie was really influential in getting the word out and getting people from North America interested in horror coming from other cultures. That's one example. Uh, The next movie that I want to talk about that I thought had a fairly large impact on the horror community in general is Taika Waititi's What We Do in the Shadows, the movie that spawned the show. And at least in my perception, really brought Taika Waititi um, into the zeitgeist and really let people know, like, this is a very good filmmaker who's really funny, uh, who has some pretty crazy ideas that can work. I believe like leading into this year, um, the only types of horror comedies that we were getting in the early 2010s and before were stuff like Scary Movie and all of its sequels and copycats and that kind of uh, humor of copying other horror movies, but not creating something new and original. Uh, What we do in the shadows managed to take very old vampire tropes and mish them so well with the documentary style that had been popularized by stuff like the office. And I think it just brought a new life into showing that the mashup of comedy and horror can occur very well. Like I know this isn't the first um, horror comedy and it's not even the first mockumentary uh, horror comedy looking at you behind the mask, the rise of Leslie Vernon. But I think that this one really was a catalyst for a lot of really funny movies that came further down the line and just showing people like, oh, people will be interested if you mash these genres together, uh, if you can do it in a new fun way. 
And I know there might be an argument to say that what we do in the shadows is definitely just a horror or, or sorry, just a comedy rather um, and has, you know, some horror elements to it. It's definitely not scary in any capacity, but it did still manage to mesh these genres really well together. But I do believe that this movie was very influential in bringing horror comedy uh, back into the zeitgeist and making a horror maybe a little bit more accessible for people who hadn't really felt uh, like there was a movie that they could relate to since like 2004's Shaun of the Dead. And who knows, like without this movie, we might not have gotten stuff like uh, a few years down the line like Freaky and Victor Crawley and Happy Death Day and some of these movies that took uh, a real swing of mashing genres together um, and really embracing the horror and making, you know, stuff that is palpable to the larger uh, movie viewing audience and not just shoehorned into being a horror specific and then speaking of movies that people can relate to that are part comedies, the next one that I have on my list that was very influential is Creep, which was directed by Patrick Bryce and written by him as well as Mark Duplass. Uh, this movie really showed that you can make a horror movie that is effective uh, with no money whatsoever. I think this movie was made for like 500 bucks. Um you know, it has uh, the most minimal cast possible, minimal locations. Um, it's all done in handheld first person. And it just showed that you don't need a huge studio behind you to make something incredible. And I just really love the genius of this movie. And I think that it helped spawn a lot of people getting into the horror business and trying their own ways to succeed so people saw this movie got inspired and started making their own shorts and stuff and i think it really picked up some of the steam that was starting to burn out from movies like paranormal activity that were also made for like almost no money and uh managed to create a huge profit and get people interested in horror movies again and more importantly, it showed that super low-budget movies don't have to be birdemic. Um, they can be good quality movies, stuff like Unsane. And that might be the most important lesson of all. And then before my final point, um, I would be remiss if I didn't mention that Annabelle also came out in 2014, uh, thus bringing in the dawn of the horror cinematic universe that is the conjuring universe um you know i didn't mind annabelle i thought it's a fine movie and just its involvement in the conjuring especially in the conjuring 2 um just kind of solidified the fact that this is the kind of stuff we're gonna expect from now on so anytime you see a very popular villain in anything get ready for their spinoff in later installments so for better or worse i think annabelle was the dawn of the horror cinematic universe and then the last two movies that i want to talk about that i think are the most influential from this uh from this year were jennifer kent's the babadook 
and David Robert Mitchell's It Follows, which I know was released in 2015, but like it, it followed the same kind of path. So just go with me with this. Now, why I think these two movies are super influential is, first of all, they're super controversial in the horror community. A lot of people love these movies, absolutely adore them, and a lot of people detest them uh, because it is the rise of what people have referred to as woke horror. Now, obviously, woke horror is not an original thing. It was not created in 2014. Um, all the way back in the 60s, Romero was making horror movies that had a lot of social commentary to them. And like Candyman, The People Under the Stairs, freaking Godzilla, and They Live, and Rosemary's Baby, and Funny Games. And you know, all, so many movies have so many different messages and so many different social commentaries to them. Uh, however, I believe personally that especially with the rise of the Babadook and how popular that movie got um, really focusing on the family unit and grief we started to see the rise in these movies that are willing to take a chance on the human condition and less so on just the scares and you know I believe uh, the popularity of these two movies and their types of subject matter are what kind of paved the way for a few years later. We start to get a whole bunch of like a whole swack of these types of movies um, like Get Out and Hereditary and all these other movies that fall under the woke horror category that people seem to really love or really hate. Uh, I have seen I'm a part of a lot of horror facebook groups and there's so much backlash to these kinds of movies uh from so-called horror purists or you know slasher fiends and like i get that it's not going to be everyone's cup of tea but i personally think that these are some of the best movies that we've ever made that are coming out in recent years uh and that horror is only getting better and only getting stronger and um, instead of just focusing on, you know, the scares and trying to outcast people, we're making movies now that are, uh, just have so much complexity to them and layers. And we're making movies that need to be considered, um, you know, actual films and art and not just a side genre to be ignored by the general population. So stuff like hereditary and get out and the witch and the lighthouse and lots of these movies that i think in a, a decade or so are going to be considered classics and staples of the genre um and i think all of them you can trace the roots back to the babadook and to it follows and the popularity of these movies and just the way that they handled subject matter but that is just my opinion and that's the joy of being a fan of anything but especially being a fan of certain genre of films is that we can have differing opinions and some people can think i'm completely off base and some people might you know have way better examples but this is the lineage that i'm tracing deal with it so those are my main single out movies that i wanted to talk about however if you know me you know that i love my lists and i've made a few of them um so first of all, 
some of the best comedies that were made in 2014 uh, that I think really hold up and you know it's just such a strong year for horror comedy it was obviously starting with what we do in the shadows but then we also had digging up the marrow housebound zombievers cooties voices and the movie tusk with justin long incredible stuff um would definitely recommend watching all of those just such great horror comedies uh what a good year uh another category that i made a list of is found footage movies um obviously creep helped us really reimagine found footage and what it means to have that style of movie but also there was the movie unfriended which used uh computers and chat groups uh to create a new style of horror there's the houses that october built in which they took advantage of the terrifyingness that is haunted houses and uh, people's obsession with haunted houses and what they're willing to put themselves through for extreme haunts um taking that and making it into a movie that movie is terrifying and it's awesome and i think because of this movie we later got uh hell house llc which is like one of my favorite found footage movies ever uh we also got as above so below which is just I think really well written and pretty underrated. Um, I think a lot of people get confused because they don't like the Dante's Inferno comparison, but it's a good one. And then the taking of Deborah Logan, which is, you know, it's not reinventing the wheel. It's nothing really new. However, it's just a good movie. It's enjoyable. Um, nothing. Everything doesn't have to be the best. Just enjoy a good movie. Another list that I have is just some of my favorite movies of the year. So the last shift which is just a really low budget cult movie set in one location with, um, you know, questionable budget and acting that is super fun and it's creepy and it's scary. And it's like the exact kind of movie that I want to be making. Um, so I love it. It's one of my favorites clown, the Eli Roth, um, produced movie that managed to make creepy demon clown scary before the it remake so suck it stephen king again amazing um starry eyes which was way more disturbing than i thought it was ever going to get and then goodnight mommy the german movie also incredibly disturbing and just such a great movie and then possibly my favorite movie of the year was spring which um you know i'm very biased because Justin Benson and Aaron Moorhead's writing and directing and acting just really connects with me. And Resolution and The Endless are two of my favorite genre movies ever. Uh, definitely check those out, even though they have nothing to do with 2014. Uh, but Spring was made in 2014, and it's beautiful, and it's a really excellent movie, which managed not only to be creepy and scary, but also it's a love story and like a well-made one. Uh, you can watch this with your partner, even if they're not super into horror movies. They might just be a little mad at you because it gets a little creepy. But, you know, whatever. It's fine. And then just more examples for me of uh, how 2014 was a good year for horror. Um, even though these aren't really horror movies, there's horror adjacent movies that attracted some really big names. We had uh, Nightcrawler that had Jake Gyllenhaal in it. We had Transcendence uh, with Johnny Depp that, you know, looked at the the horrors of ai uh and then getting even further into that with alicia vikander is ex machina which is an incredible movie one of the best movies of the year for sure um definitely horror adjacent 
Uh, that same year, we also had Godzilla, classic uh, nuclear horror, RoboCop, uh, Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, The Guest. Um, and then we also had I, Frankenstein, which was a big old woof. Uh, sorry, Aaron Eckhart, but it is horror being brought into the mainstream with a big budget. Um, so I think we can all appreciate that, even though this one was not a good representation of uh, the horror community's wants at the time, I don't think, or ever. Uh, so there you have it. That is some of the reasons why I loved horror in the year 2014. Um, I think all of the movies that I mentioned are worth checking out. And I'm sure there's a whole bunch that I haven't mentioned. Um, but I just really enjoyed looking into this kind of stuff. I was going through the year um, just Googling stuff like best movies 2014. Um, I was really happy and surprised that uh, I didn't have to do any research for this episode. I had seen all of these movies that came out. Um, so, you know, maybe I'm biased that way and that I just watched a lot of movies that year or from that year. Uh, but they're all good. And with such a wide variety of good horror movies, I think you can't go wrong. And I just like to say thank you 2014 for making good horror movies that I can be proud of and still would want to watch today. But my rant is over. Uh, if you have any questions, concerns, insults, threats, uh, if you have any other suggestions for movies from 2014 or you have suggestions of another year that you think is more influential, uh, you have some woke horror that you want to talk about or, you know, the origins of woke horror. Maybe we can get into that one day. I don't know. We're kind of feeling this podcast out as we go. But if you have any questions or anything you would like to mention to us, you can reach out to us on Twitter or on Instagram at HDPod666 or by email at HDPod666 at gmail.com. We read everything. We'll respond to everything. And we just really love hearing from people uh, who have a same love for horror that we have here at Horror Dares. So with that, I'll say thank you. Good night. Good day. I've been Cal and bon appetit.